Go ahead and, uh, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're beginning to go through, work through chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. If you're a visitor this morning, we're actually working our way through the entire book of 1 Corinthians. We're coming this morning to <clears throat> chapter 14. I'm going to handle chapter 14 a little bit differently. Uh, usually we go verse by verse by verse through the book. Um, but as you'll see as we read through the chapter this morning, <clears throat> Paul, as we go through this chapter, goes back and forth between the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. And so we're going to cover every verse in this chapter, but today we're going to look at the gift of tongues from chapter 14. Next week we're going to look at the gift of prophecy, and that will keep us from going for the next three months through this chapter, okay? Uh, so hopefully we'll kind of pull it all together under two umbrellas there, and then we'll work our way uh, as usual through the remainder of the chapter as we end this week and next week, okay? So if you wouldn't mind standing, I'm going to read the whole chapter. <coughs> Just follow along. First Corinthians 14. <coughs> Pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct sounds, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers... Do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. 
Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three in each in turn. And let someone interpret. And if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your word that you have given to us, Lord. You have spoken, you've given us your word, the scriptures, God. And so, I ask you, Lord, to help us, help us to not take your word lightly today. Help us to not take it for granted. May we be people whose hearts tremble at your word as you have told us to. And give us hearts, I pray, by your spirit that are receptive, that are willing to embrace what you have said, that are eager to embrace what you have spoken. God, I pray that you would be glorified in our time. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 1 begins, and as a reminder, let me say this. I didn't say this first service, but um, we understand that the chapters, the verse numbers, all of those things added after the letter, okay? So this is just for our help so I can tell you where to look. But this is a letter, so it's not detached from what we have just gone through in chapters 12 and 13. But for our help here, chapter 14, verse 1, begins with pursue love. We've just come through chapter 13, where the emphasis is clearly, Paul is saying, um, here's the gifts, chapter 12, here's what the body should look but like, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a more excellent way Pursue love. And he reminds us again here, pursue love. Make love your aim. If you make, if we make as the body love our aim, then it's going to protect us from making something else, something less our aim. 
So he's going to guard us from making like the Corinthians. We've, we've gone through chapter 12. We see that they're putting certain gifts above other gifts and people who had those gifts above the people who didn't have those gifts. And they're making the aim the wrong thing. Paul says if you make love your aim and keep the main thing the main thing, it's going to guard us from putting something like making something like prophecy or tongues or preaching or something else the main thing or the emphasis. So pursue love, he reminds us. Make Love your aim. Go after love. As we work through chapter 14, we must not forget. If you speak in the tongues of men, or Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and I have not love, I'm just a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I, have, if I understand all prophetic mysteries and have all knowledge and I don't have love, I am Nothing, And the same is true for us. If we go through chapter 14 and we go through it in a way that is unloving, even in our hearts, then what he says is we're nothing. And what are we pursuing after? To pursue love, pursue love. And earnestly, he says, desire the spiritual gifts. When love is at work, when we're pursuing love and, and the Spirit is made manifest in our love for each other. Remember, we talked about last week from 1 John. Uh, this is how we know. This is how we know we've gone from death to life in that we love the brothers. And so when we're loving each other and we're letting love be our aim and love is at work in us, then those gifts that we're seeking, earnestly desiring, will build up the body of Christ. Now he says there in verse 1, especially that you may prophesy. We're going to hold off on that. We'll talk about it next week. And we're going to focus this, um, this week on the gift of tongues. Paul goes back and forth between the two, and so uh, we're going to kind of pull out some uh, verses in the midst. Uh, as you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not um, uh, fond of doing that, but I'm, I'm, in, I'm encouraging you and assuring you uh, we are reading the whole thing, and we're going to cover the whole thing. We're just trying to do this uh, in an orderly way. And so three things that I want to discuss as it pertains to the gift of tongues. Number one, what is it? What is the gift of tongues? Uh, secondly, uh, what the gift of tongues is not. And then third, what does that mean? So how does that work with the church? How does that play out in the body specifically as it relates to Cornerstone? So what is the gift of tongues? I mentioned over the last couple of weeks as we've gone through chapter 12, 13, uh, as we've gone through those and tongues has been mentioned, the gift of tongues kind of given us a working definition for that, which is this, the gift of tongues is the spirit empowered ability to speak a language or languages that the speaker does not know. Now that still leaves us with some questions, hopefully some things that we need to answer from that. Like what do you mean by language? What language? What languages? Are the language or languages that, that, that I'm referring to in the definition, are those known languages? Are those unknown languages? What are we talking about with languages? In other words, is a person speaking a language that is common to at least some people on this planet? That the gift of tongues is a known language and that somewhere there's some tribe, some tongue, some some people group on this planet that speak that language, whether we know it or not. Is that what we're talking about? 
Or is it some unknown language that no one on this planet speaks? To answer that, I want to look at um, a couple of passages uh, where we first see the gift of tongues and working through Acts quickly um, at the circumstances and the the occasions in Acts where we see uh, the gift of tongues. So go to Acts 2. It's Luke's account of the coming of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, starting with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? So the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. And when the Spirit comes, you have assembled together about 120 believers, followers, disciples of Jesus Christ. And they are filled with the Spirit. There's this mighty rushing wind sound that fills the whole house The spirit comes literally it says that there's like divided uh, tongues of fire that comes and rests on them and they begin to extol God and worship God. And they're doing it not in their own language, but in many languages. So you have of these 120, we don't know if every single one of them was speaking in tongues. We don't know that. But out of the 120, there are all of these languages that are being spoken. And it says that the sound, probably the sound of the rushing wind coming into the house, draws attention. And so people are gathering together. They see all of these people who are Galileans, and they're speaking all of these different languages that they shouldn't be able to speak. And so you can imagine, it says they were astonished. They were amazed. And they're saying, how are these people speaking these languages that they shouldn't know and don't know? And all along, they're hearing these people extol God in their own languages. Now, let me say quickly, this was not them proclaiming the gospel. Okay, some of us, okay, some of us come together and we talk about um, tongues and and even knowing we're coming up to chapter 14. Some of your visitors, this is like a punch in the stomach. Okay, I apologize. That's okay. Some of the people here have been waiting and fearing this morning. Okay, some of you, when the gift of tongues is talked about, there's a fear. Can we just say 
This is amazing, okay? Whatever your background is, whatever your baggage is, whatever it is, this is phenomenal, okay? The Spirit comes. I don't believe you get it. I'm looking at your faces. This is incredible. God fills his people and they're speaking languages that they've never spoken before. And it's not that they're proclaiming the gospel. They're just extolling God, which gives ear to the gospel. The miracle gives people this, what is going on? What do we do with this? Peter steps forward, preaches the gospel. 3,000 people come to know the Lord. Phenomenal. Okay, Whatever your background is, however you feel about where in the world are we going for the rest of this, worship from that. That is just glorious. Flip over to Acts chapter 10. The next time we see the gift of tongues is uh, this wonderful chapter. And I I encourage you, please read the whole chapter. I don't have time to cover the whole chapter this morning. Um, I um, would encourage you to just, just to see the picture of what's going on there because the Lord sends Peter, a Jew, to the house of Cornelius, okay, a Gentile. And it's this uh, purposeful uh, happening, and you've got to read through the whole account to, to catch up, and I know you'll do that. And so we get to chapter 44. Peter is there to proclaim the gospel to these Gentiles. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So Peter goes to the Gentiles. The fact that Peter was in a Gentile's home was not okay to Jews. And he's proclaiming the gospel and the spirit falls on these Gentiles. And the same thing that happened at Pentecost happens among these Gentiles. And they're extolling God, praising God, worshiping God in other languages. Flip over to Acts chapter 19. Paul goes to Ephesus and he comes across these uh, disciples of John the Baptist. He asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And so he begins to tell them about Christ, about the gospel. And in verses 5 and 6, it says, On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They believed, they're saved, they're baptized. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Again, the same fruit of the Holy Spirit is seen in these followers of John the Baptist. It says there were about 12 men in all. So these 12 believe in Jesus, they're baptized, they receive the Holy Spirit, and they begin speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now, it's important for us to understand these are unique circumstances, okay? In that, um, the reason we have um, uh, Luke's account of this is when the Jewish believers went to Cornelius, have to understand, to go into his house was a no-no. And there is no way that they could go back to the apostles and say, hey, yeah, the Gentiles believe too. 
and that the apostles are going to, and all of the Jewish believers are going to be like, oh, great. The, what the Lord is doing there is giving the exact same evidence. That's what Paul is saying. I mean, Peter is saying there in Acts 10, just as we experienced just as he did with us. And so he gives them this evidence. And no, 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 no. I'm not just a God for the Jews. I am a God for all peoples, all nations. Likewise, in Acts 19, we see the same thing. And then we come to 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, where Paul refers to, he's teaching on spiritual gifts, and speaking in tongues is listed as one of the gifts, one of the manifestations of the Spirit. Now, as we get into this, it's, it's important, and I think it's clear as we've gone from through chapters 12, 13, and especially as we see in 14, it seems like uh, it's pretty clear that Paul is addressing some of the issues in the church as it pertains to tongues. They are putting at the forefront those gifts that get most attention. And tongues is one of those gifts. And so those who don't have the gift of tongues are saying things like, well, since I'm not an eye and I'm just a foot, I'll just dismiss myself. And those who are eyes who have the gift of tongues are saying, well, since you're not one of us, we don't really have need of you. We see that in 1 Corinthians 12. And so we get to this and he's addressing the gift of tongues. And here's what we need to look into is what Paul is referring to in chapters 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians as the gift of tongues, the same as in Acts. So the gift that we see in Acts, where clearly the people are speaking known languages empowered by the Holy Spirit, has something evolved. Has the gift evolved at some way and at some point so that now what we have in Corinth And what Paul is addressing is a different kind of gift or manifestation altogether, where now people are not just speaking known languages, but unknown languages. There are some who would say, yes, that is the case. There are some that would say it has evolved. And there are some that believe that it is the same. I am a person who is very confident that the gift is the same. I'll give you three primary reasons why I believe that. Uh, First, before I get to those, um, at no point between Acts and the letter to Corinth do we see any instructions that it's different. So at no point are we taught in any way that there's some kind of evolution that has taken place to this gift, okay? So But let me just say, my reasons are aside from that. I I don't know that that's enough evidence to say either way. And so my reasons are are, are outside of that. And I really believe that 1 Corinthians 14 gives us enough evidence to see that what Paul is talking about is the same as what was seen and, and, and written about in the book of Acts. And that it is known languages. The first reason is this. I don't think... That verse 2 necessarily means that the tongues are different. Verse 2 is often used as the, um, the, the, the grounds for uh, tongues being different in Corinth than they were in Acts. And, uh, and so when he says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, 
for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. The fact that he says no one understands him uh, is, is understood by, by many to, to mean then no one can understand him. No one on earth could possibly understand this language, so it must be an unknown language. I don't think that it means that. Uh, the people in Acts were speaking to God. They were extolling God when they spoke in tongues. And when he says that no one understands him, it doesn't necessarily mean that no one on the planet understands him. We have to understand the context of Acts 2 and 1 Corinthians 14. Acts 2, you have assembled together people from all different languages. In Corinth, we're talking about a body that's meeting together something like this. And so there's a common language that would have been spoken in the church at Corinth. And so if someone were to come and speak something other than the common language, no one would understand him. No one would understand what was being said. It doesn't necessarily mean that no one on the planet understands him. It means that no one understands him because he's speaking a language other than what the people spoke. Another reason I, I think that he's speaking of known languages is verses 7 through 11. Where, where he says, if even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. Doesn't it seem like there that he's, he's explaining what he means in verse 2? That if I'm speaking a language that no one knows, then I'm a foreigner to those who are hearing me, and they're a foreigner to me. And so in explaining it, he's referring to these um, indistinct sounds that instruments make. And, and what it seems like is that those indistinct sounds, the unintelligible speech, are different languages that he refers to in verses 10 and 11. And the third, the third reason I believe that even from 1 Corinthians 14, it is evidence that we uh, uh, that Paul's referring to known languages is uh, if you look at verses um, 20 through 23 brothers do not be children in your thinking be infants in evil but in your thinking be mature in the law it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people and even then they will not listen to me says the Lord Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? The only way that I have been able to understand these verses in the context is that Paul's referring to known languages. Have you ever read that before and wondered, what in the world do you mean, Paul? Like, you just said in one verse that tongues, the gift of tongues are for unbelievers, and then the next verse you say, and if everyone's speaking in tongues and an unbeliever comes in, they're going to think you're crazy. 
How can it be for them and not for them? What do you mean, Paul? And the only way I can wrap my mind about around what he could possibly mean is he's saying it's known language. He's quoting Isaiah saying of, uh, of people of, of um, strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me. And so the only way I've been able to understand this is that the gift of tongues at times, like we see in Acts Two uh, is used for the unbeliever so that if a person who's uh, standing before an unbeliever is speaking in the language of that unbeliever, then they have this opportunity to hear the truth, whether they accept it or deny it, whether they give ear to the gospel or don't give ear to the gospel, they have this opportunity here. However, if that unbeliever were to come into the church and it's being what what was happening in Corinth and what Paul's referring to in this passage where every person is just speaking in these tongues, what is that unbeliever going to say? The same unbeliever that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 and 3 thinks we are fools. If he comes into this body and all of these people are just speaking all of these other languages, it's just chaos and all this noise happening, then he's going to say these people are nuts. And so it seems like To me, the only way I can understand that is if he's talking about known languages. So if tongues is known languages, and I said last week, I don't think 1 Corinthians 13 teaches that these gifts have ceased. Then the next question is, as we're talking about what is the gift of tongues? What's the purpose of that? Why would people speak in tongues when there are linguists and Bible translators and all of those things if it's just known languages? Well, first, I want to to point out that I don't think that we can say, which is often said, that tongues is just to proclaim God's word to those of different languages. Paul, in this passage, he prays in tongues more than others. Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. In verse 2, he says that whoever is speaking in tongue is speaking to God. Verse 28 says that in certain circumstances that we're going to get to in a bit in the sermon, a person should be silent or keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. That is prayer that's not proclamation that's prayer and so i think the weight of what paul is saying has to do with the gift of tongues as praying not as something other than that not as a proclamation of god's word to unbelievers or to believers it is speaking to god The second thing that I would say about the purpose of tongues is with all the gifts, the purpose is to manifest the Holy Spirit, to show off the Spirit. That is exactly what the gift of tongues was doing in Acts 2. Showing off the power of the Spirit so that people are like, what in the world is going on? They give ear, someone preaches the gospel, they believe the gospel. It was not the gospel. It was a showing off of God's power and God's Spirit so that someone would give ear to the gospel and that through the gospel they might believe it's a display of his glory and power in verse 2 Paul says it is 
prayer. We are extolling God, he says. If you're speaking in tongues, and he says, I speak in tongues, I'm extolling God. In Acts, we see the people are extolling God in Acts 2, in Acts 10, and in Acts 19. They're telling the mighty works of God. But look at this in, in verses uh, 14 through 16 in, in 1 Corinthians 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? It's praise, he says. It's singing of praise. It's praying of praise. It's giving thanks. I don't know if you've ever meditated on that. Wherever you land on what the gift of tongues is, I hope at least you go through that and think, this is a wonderful thing that Paul is talking about here. Whatever it is, he's saying it's, it's, it's praise. I'm singing praise. I'm thanking God through this in my spirit. The other purpose I want to mention is that that of unity. As we went through chapter 12, the gifts, as we see there, should bring unity in the body so that all the parts are working together and that Jesus is displayed. So the gift of tongues that Paul's talking about here is meant mainly to glorify God, to make his spirit manifest, and to bring unity in the body. Let me talk about a little bit what the gift of tongues is not. First thing it's not, it's not the most edifying gift to the body. Paul says that clearly. The one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. The one who speaks in a tongue, verse 4, builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. The one who speaks in a tongue, as we see through later in the passage, without someone interpreting, builds up himself, but the body's not built up. In fact, it's confused. It doesn't know what's being said. It doesn't understand what's going on. Paul says he would rather them prophesy. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy, because then the body would be built up. And so first, what it is not is it's not the most edifying gift to the body. But it's also not forbidden. Verse 39, Paul writes to them, My brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. In fact, throughout the passage, he seems to be saying that in different ways. He says in verse 5, I want you all to speak in tongues. And again in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now some of you, um, depending on your background, uh, if, you, if you're not aware of verse 18, some of you uh, may fill in the blank, if it was blank at the beginning, uh, with, uh, I'm freaked out that I speak in tongues more than all of you. And maybe that's what Paul meant. Are we sure that that's what the Greek means? I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Some of you would, would assume that what he means is, uh, I'm freaked out that I speak in tongues. He doesn't say that, does he? 
I thank God that I do more than all of you. So we can't say it's forbidden. It's interesting that in a scenario like Corinth where tongues is being used wrongly and elevated unbiblically that Paul doesn't say one unloving thing to those who are doing it wrong. We could learn from that. We could grow from that. We could use a dose of his heart and his spirit as it pertains to those people who we think may be wrong in this. It's not criticized. And, and let me encourage you in this. It's not unloving. I, I had a, a conversation with, with someone, doesn't attend here, but this week where, where um, this came up again. And, and, and there are some who would say that those who um, speak in tongues and, and it's more of a, a, a babble or an um, unknown language that uh, what do you do with that? What, what do you think that is? That it's um, demonic. Don't go there. Don't go there. Paul doesn't go there. Paul's not unloving. He's not critical. Brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ, they speak the truth in love. Don't go there. L- let's not be people who, who just jump too far with these things. The reason I say that is, uh, just to be honest with, with you as, as it pertains to me, um, there, are, there are those who are Pentecostal who are far more loving than I am. In fact, I think some Pentecostals are, are the most loving people on the planet. The reason I share that with you is, if they get the main thing better than I get the main thing, that should give me pause, not to throw rocks at them, not to be critical of them, but to at least learn the main thing from them. And let's be brothers and sisters in Christ who speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Let's be like Paul who comes alongside of those who may be doing it wrongly and doesn't criticize them or cast them away as they must not be believers, but just says, let's deal with this with the scriptures and what is it supposed to be? And let's do that in love and let's continue to love no matter what the result is. Because the gift of tongues is not absent of love. Pursue love, pursue love, pursue love. And so what does it look like in the body, specifically as it pertains to Cornerstone? What does it look like Cornerstone? Some of you may say, scary. It's okay. A couple things I want to address. In answering this, how, what does it look like in the body of Christ? What do I think it should look like in the body of Christ in each gathering? And what does it look like here at Cornerstone? First verses 18 and 19. I thank God, Paul says, that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. I'd rather build up the body and speak words that make sense. That's, that is clearly what Paul is saying there. He says in verse 18, I do it a lot. I, maybe I do it more than all of you, he says. But in church, 
What's he talking about there? He's talking about this. He's talking about the gathering, the assembly. But in church, I would rather speak five words that make sense than 10,000 words that don't make sense. In verses 27 and 28, he says, If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret... Let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. When Paul does address the use of it in the body, how it should be used in the body of Christ, this is what he says. And what I would sum that up with is there's awareness. There's awareness, awareness that someone else is there who has the gift of interpretation. So tongues is not, and interpretation is not, are not these gifts that just come on and off a person. Paul says if you're not aware that someone is there already with the gift of interpretation, then don't, don't, don't talk. Just be silent. And secondly, awareness in that there's self-control. This should not be a surprise to us. If this is of the Spirit, the Spirit gives self-control, Galatians 5.23. And so a person can and will keep silent if no one is there to interpret or if others have done so. And what we can learn from that is it's not ecstatic. It's not this gift that just comes on a person and they're overwhelmed and overcome so they can't control themselves and all this stuff just comes out of their mouth and then people in the body are praying like crazy, oh Lord, please, please let there be someone who has the gift of interpretation, please. That's not at all the picture that Paul paints here in Corinth. He's like, if you don't know ahead of time that there's someone there with the gift of interpretation, then just stay silent. Don't use the gift. And so there's awareness of those things. It's not an ecstatic thing. It's of the spirit. If it's of the spirit, there's self-control. And so with those two things, I have peace about being orderly to that end. Verse 40 clearly tells us to do that. But all things should be done decently and in order. Most of what we observe as tongues is questionable in that it is not self-controlled. How can something of the Spirit not be self-controlled? It can't be. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And so a lot of what we see, especially in in our culture with tongues, is not self-controlled. And not just that, it's not language. And I I don't just mean known language. It's not language. They've, they've studied it. They've taken and recorded people speaking in tongues and, 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 and examined it. And it's literally not a language. It has nothing linguistic about it. What we see most often is questionable in that. Whether it's known or unknown. As the elders at Cornerstone, we're not aware of anyone who has the gift of tongues or the gift of interpretation. And I will, I'll tell you, honestly, if you believe that you have that gift, then come and talk to us. I don't think it would be orderly not to do that. We don't treat that any differently than anything else. We ask the same of someone who has the gift of teaching or any other gift. Come and talk to us. We want to do things biblically. As elders, we're called to equip the body and to pursue love and unity. We have all camps represented in this body. And just as a reminder, if you're visiting the camps, you know, different 
beliefs, camps as it pertains to tongues, prophecy, gifts in general. You have cessationists who, who believe these, these gifts, specifically tongues and, and, and prophecy and miraculous gifts, ceased. When we had the canonization of the scripture and the apostles died off, then these gifts ceased. You have a, a, another group that's open but cautious. They would not think that scripture teaches that the gifts ceased, but they're very cautious with the gifts. Uh, kind of going to 1 Thessalonians 4 where Paul says, test everything. Don't despise prophecy, but test everything. And then you have um, this middle camp that's referred to as uh, third wave, and, and, and they would uh, practice the gifts, but uh, striving as best as they can to, uh, to do what f- uh, 1 Corinthians 14 um, says. And then you have charismatics that uh, you see uh, more of the gifts being um, used throughout the, the service. And then you have Pentecostals that, that seem to be uh, more unorderly in it uh, and would say that um, in most cases that if you don't speak in tongues, um, then you haven't received the fullness of the Spirit. So we have all of those camps that are in one way or another represented here. And we as elders are called to equip the body and to pursue love and unity. It wouldn't be a pursuit of unity to just have people doing or saying things that other godly, loving people in the body uh, believe are unbiblical. It wouldn't be loving to not be orderly and bring these things to the elders for us to pray through with you and pursue together. It wouldn't be pursuing unity. And all of this, our desire, my desire, is to pursue love. And so just a couple of comments in, in closing. Um, first, if, if you're in the cessationist camp, um, and, and you know what, I'll be honest with you uh, to let you know, I, I'm, I'm in the open but cautious camp. Uh, I told you last week, I don't think 1 Corinthians 13, that we can take from that, that the scriptures say that the gifts have ceased. Um, and so I would, I would categorize myself as open but cautious. If you're in the cessationist camp, I want to encourage you um, drop your rocks. I'm, I may not be able to convince you or persuade you that the Bible doesn't say that these gifts have ceased. That's okay as long as you are letting the scriptures define and navigate your understanding. Not just what your camp says. Not just what your experience has been. However, if you don't see the emphasis on love and how this is demonstrated towards unbiblical tongue speakers in this passage by Paul, I'm quoting here, okay, what he says, don't shoot the messenger, but what he says about us, if we are not loving and we don't see that clearly we're called to love no matter what as it pertains to this, then we're nothing, nothing. If you're in that camp, then drop your rocks. Let's pursue love together. If you're charismatic or Pentecostal, if you come back, come from that background, then I encourage you to examine the emphasis you've put on tongues. Is it biblical? What do you do with Acts 2? What do you do with Acts 10? What do you do with Acts 19? Are you certain that your experience of tongues is biblical as unknown languages? Are you certain of that? 
Is it spirit-led? Do you, do you consider what we talked about last week with 2 Peter 1, where Peter gives his experience on the mountain where he sees Jesus glorified before him as in the glory cloud, hears God's literal audible voice say to the, Peter, James, and John, this is my son whom I love, listen to him, and then follows that experience with, we have something more sure than that, the prophetic word. Our experience is not authoritative. God's word is authoritative. And, and so I would ask you, have you been influenced by the scriptures as much as you've been influenced by other tongue speakers? And I would, I would adamantly ask cessationists the same thing. Let's pursue love and unity together. Let's be informed by the scriptures. I tell you from my heart, I want us to be filled with the spirit as a church I want us to be full of the Spirit. And I am, I am terrified, terrified of doing anything that denies or grieves or quenches the genuine work of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to do that ever in my life. I don't want to do it in my ministry. And I believe that the true evidence of His work and His filling us will be abundant love and unity. That will be the true evidence. That will be the fruit. That will be the truth of his spirit working in us revealed. Let's pray for that. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace, God. I thank you so much for your word, Lord. I just confess to you again as I study it more and more. I have more and more questions, and you are faithful to answer those questions so often. You've given us your word, Lord. Lord, I want to find the truth in your word, not just in experience, Lord, not just in, in, in camps and, and upbringing and all of those things. Your word is truth, God. Sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. So God, you know, you know my heart, you know the things that I've said this morning that are truth and you know the things that I've said that may not be. I don't know. God, would you speak to us through your word? We want to know you, God. We want to serve you. We want to be filled with your spirit, and we want the fruit of that to be abundant love. This is how we know, God. This is how we know that we've gone from death to life, that we love, that we love. You've told us that in your word, so please fill us with your spirit and let us overflow with love that comes from you. Amen.